Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. For this one, we're going to cover, I think, two topics today. One I've been getting a lot of questions about recently, and I think it's a lot of people getting into the hobby. They're getting excited, and they want to show off their collection and talk to people about it, so we'll get into that. Plus, the other one is about moving a tarantula collection, which I have to admit, full disclosure, I don't like talking about things that I don't have experience myself in, and I have not yet had to move my collection. Billy and I have discussed that eventually we'd like to move and get a bigger house, mostly because Tom has a lot of hobbies and needs a lot of room. We're at the age where the kids should be growing up, moving out of the house, and we should be downsizing at some point, but I'm looking at upsizing or upgrading at least, or moving and getting a bigger house with more property because I'd love to have other animals eventually. And right now, I love our house to death, but I would love to have a bigger room for my exotics. So it's either add on to this one or get another house. So anyway, I digress. We have discussed what it would take to move the collection because right now, I believe I have over 220 animals between the tarantulas, spiders, uh, scorpions, a couple snakes, everything else. There's a lot to move. So we will try to tackle. I have, I uh, what I can do on that one is kind of share the ideas that I have had with it. It's as far as, you know, how we would go about it and we can talk about it from there. And maybe people that have actually had to move their collections over long distances can chime in. But to kick this one off, I don't know if it's just the season or a lot of people are buying tarantulas or whatnot, but I've been getting a lot of questions lately about how to go about starting a YouTube channel. Now, full disclosure, I, I honestly consider myself to be the worst person on the planet to ask this question. And when I answer these, the individuals that ask this question, I usually preface it with, I am literally the worst person you'd ever want to ask for this. Because number one, I've done very little, I've done nothing to promote my channel. And that's not what it's about. Uh, generally speaking, if you do a YouTube channel, the idea is you go out and you promote it as much as possible, try to get people interested. And I've never really done that. And the second reason is I'm not into it for the same reason a lot of people get into YouTube. And I've tried to explain this many times before. This is not me judging anybody else. I'm not at all. As a matter of fact, I get that I'm the oddball out. It's just... I When I did the YouTube channel, it was a continuation of my website. I had started Tom's Big Spiders. I've documented this many times through podcasts and everything else. My daughter convinced me to go over and take the YouTube aspect of it a little more seriously. I started putting out some terrible videos just off. It was me holding the camera, talking a lot of ums, ums. I was very uncomfortable with it. And somehow I managed to find an audience over there. And for me, it was just an, an extension. Originally, I, I think somewhere out there, if you look it up, it still says that the YouTube channel is actually a companion for my website because I didn't see it as ever becoming its own ent entity with its own audience. It was just going to be, here's my website. And when I would rather show you something than tell you about it, when you know the old picture is worth a thousand words, while well, movie's worth even more, the you can bebop over here and check out my YouTube channel to see me actually demonstrate. So like rehousings and things of that nature. That was the original intent. I never expected to become a quote unquote YouTuber or what do they call it? Content creators or whatever the name of it is. It just, that whole thing's foreign to me, but that's me. A lot of people, when they get into YouTube channels, and this makes more sense than what I do, honestly, they go in because they want to find an audience. They want to build up a reputation. They want to build up a name and a brand for themselves. And that's totally okay because I think sometimes because of my unique approach to it and the way I see it and – Part of it is I don't ever want this to become a chore or feel like I have to do it. And I think when you build a brand or intentionally go out and set out to build a brand, there's a lot more effort involved and it becomes more like work. And I've said this before as well. I never want the Tom's Big Spider stuff to become work. It's something I enjoy doing for fun. It's something that's kind of relaxing for me. So I never wanted to get to that point where I feel like I have to come home and do something. Right now, when I sit down and do the podcast, I enjoy doing them. I like doing them. Later on, Billy and I will be shooting videos. It's fun 
for us. I don't ever want it to become a chore. So that's one of the reasons why I don't monetize. I don't promote. The, the, the other thing with the monetization, the majority of people I had a discussion recently with somebody about this and, and they pointed out you're kind of the oddball out because you don't monetize and most people do. And I get that. I totally – you're doing something – if you're doing something, putting a lot of effort and love into it, I totally get wanting to make money off it. As far as the monetization is concerned – a, I hate ads. I, I hate ads. I hate when it, it's a personal thing for me, but when, and I know I should expect it with YouTube, but sometimes I go on and I want to watch like a 10 minute video and I pop it on and all of a sudden an ad pops up and then another ad pops up or I'm in the middle of the video enjoying it. They just drive me nuts. And with my content, I want people to be able to get into it and digest it as quickly as possible because I understand, although some people don't mind sitting down through the ads, there are other people that are trying to find information very quickly and don't have time for that kind of stuff. So I like it to be able to, I wanted to just know that anybody that clicks on my channel isn't going to have to sit there through ads or click through ads. They can get right into the, the meat of it, the nitty gritty and find the information they want to find. I don't, be, I, I have nothing against anybody that puts ads up there. I want to make that very, very clear. I do make a point of saying I don't have ads because I want people to know that, look at, that jump right on, find the information you need. So again, this is, these are all the reasons why I think I am a terrible person to ask about how to put together a successful YouTube channel because I kind of stumbled into what I've got. This, I, I guess you could say that I've worked hard for it. And I, I think I put in a lot of time and effort and I have tried to improve things, but I never set out to go, hey, I want to be Tom Rand the YouTuber. That's not my thing. So so anyway, here's as far as how to get into YouTube, this would be my advice. If people are coming to me, I'm assuming they like what I do. They appreciate what I do. They recognize that I do things a little bit differently than others. So this would be my advice for folks that are out there right now. They're getting into the hobby, that are watching some of these YouTube channels that are going, I want to do this. Now, I will tell you, it'll probably differ greatly from other folks in the hobby. So I would say that if you don't like what I have to say, or it doesn't, you know, you're sitting there going, that really wasn't what I was expecting then find somebody's YouTube channel that you think is a really great personality, that you like their content, that you like what they do, besides me, obviously, and ask them what they do because I'm sure there's other people out there that know how to do this a lot better than me, especially the promotional side. I get how the pro promotional side works. Billy and I have sat down before and discussed the fact that you know I don't do a lot of promoting and that we know how we could go about doing promoting, but it just feels weird. I like the fact that people kind of stumble on my stuff and go, I mean, my favorite comments to get are, oh my gosh, I never knew this channel existed. I just watched a couple videos. My Lord, you're so informative. I love it. Those are the type of comments that really get me going and keep me going doing this because that's exactly what I want. I want people to, I'm not here to be the, you know, ambassador to attract all these people to the hobby. I'm here for the people that really get into the hobby and then find out, hey, I want some information that I can trust. So love that kind of stuff. But anyway, if here are my tips as far as what I would tell somebody that's looking to start a YouTube channel. And this is these would be my hopes for, you know, the ones that I really like and respect. Generally, you can tell they took this approach. And again, if it's if you hear this and you go, wow, that's a great way to have no subscribers, you're probably right because I, I'm telling you, I'm kind of an anomaly in this that I, I look back at my old videos and I am shocked that I had anybody ever follow me on YouTube because they're not particularly great. So to kick it off, first thing, rule number one, above all else, anything I'm going to say at this point, this would be my most important tip, I would say, or the thing I would implore people to always keep in mind, put the animals first. This should be the thing that guides your whole channel. Now, people may be out there thinking, well, of course you put your animals first, and that makes all the sense in the world. You love your animals, and I do think a lot of people out there and a lot of channels out there do start with a genuine love of their animals. They want to show them off. You know you got to have a certain 
extra type of love for something when you want to go out and make videos of it and show it to the world. I mean, that's something that I, I will tell you personally, I've never felt obligated in my entire life to make videos about anything I've done. I've had many hobbies. I used to do artwork for years and I've never felt like, hey, you know what? I want to put videos of this stuff out there to show it to other people. But with the tarantulas, I love it. I love putting it out there. There's people out there that just share your enjoyment of it. So I think this goes with any animal tubers or whatever they call it now. You have to make sure that you keep the animals, not just the focus of your channel. Now, granted, we have people out there that the, their personalities kind of overtake the animals, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's some people out there with some amazing personalities that, honestly, they're just as entertaining as the animals. It just makes everything so much better because you have an entertaining host, and then you have cool animals. So I'm not saying that they have to remain the focus of the channel. Sometimes the personality does take over, but they should always, their well-being should be paramount when doing a channel. Now, I think what ends up happening in a lot of cases is that people pick up some animals they start watching some other youtube videos they go hey i can do this and then they start focusing on their animals and you can almost watch the transition as it grows from hey this is my cool animal i just picked up my tarantula my centipede whatever it may be we don't it doesn't necessarily just mean tarantulas we're talking about here it's any type of animal i think and then more they start building their channel and they start realizing i need to get more people to watch this so then they start kind of changing and then the focus becomes less on just look at my animal and more on let me see how many animals i can get on here because obviously if i have more and more unique animals then more people are going to be inclined to check out my channel so i would say one of the biggest you know thinking of pitfalls that kind of undermine that keeping the animal first keeping the animal's welfare first thing going. One of the big pitfalls I see is people getting too many animals too quickly, not because they want the animals, but because they feel like they need to have them to keep their channel going. So I've been privy to YouTube groups where people have talked about, you know, can you have a successful YouTube channel and not have a bunch of animals? I honestly think the answer is yes. I can't remember who the YouTuber is, but there's a really popular YouTuber out there. I want to say it's the Spider-Man who I, I love, the great guy, Alan Hicken. And I, I think somebody asked him at one point how many animals he had, and it was a lot fewer than you would have expected. And this is a guy that's had a, a you know, a, a channel, a, a very big channel for quite some time now and has a lot of subscribers, a lot of people that really like what he does. And he really didn't have that many animals. So yes, it can be done. And, and I apologize. And if Alan, if you hear this and this isn't you and you're like, I'm sitting on 2000 animals, I apologize. But I do remember, I thought it was yours where somebody said how many they had. And Alan was like, I really don't have that many. And I would have thought Alan had tons, but it was just the way he presented them because Alan's a great personality too. And he loves his animals. And I just, I think everybody just thought he had more. So there were, on this thread, there were two you know, lines of thought. One was, well, unfortunately, to keep people interested, you have to kind of keep getting new animals. Unboxing videos are incredibly... Uh, and YouTube, it's like this whole thing unto itself, this whole genre unto itself, unboxing videos, whether it be toys, whether it be, you know, I've seen it with candy, with cards, where they get certain collectible cards, and then tarantulas, a lot of people love the unboxing videos. So there's a huge push. People realize those are an easy way to draw a lot of views. So you do an unboxing video, you order a bunch of tarantulas from, say, Fear Not Tarantulas, and you go, you know what? If I order two tarantulas from Fear Not Tarantulas, this is gonna be kind of a short unboxing video, like, oh, here are my two tarantulas. If I order five or six or maybe even 10. Now I can put together like, well, look what I've got next. And now I've got one of these and the people come on and comment, wow, what a beautiful, you know, box of tarantulas. 
And then unfortunately, I think what happens is they're buying them because of the, the thought is it's going to make for good video, not buying them because, all right, these are animals I've done a lot of research on and really want to add to my collection. And I've seen YouTubers rise up. They start to get a bunch of animals. All of a sudden it goes like they start off with tarantulas. And next thing you know, there's like, well, here's my snake. And now I got a chinchilla. And now I got a sugar glider. And now I got a tortoise. Now I got a crab. Now I got a... And next thing you know what, they've got this menagerie of animals that they've done little to no research on. And then guess which videos start coming next? My chinchilla died. My goldfish died. My centipede died. And then... What ends up, unfortunately, you get people to come on and call them on it, and it gets icky because they're like, you know what, stop buying all these animals you don't know anything about. They're dying. You got other people that, no, they're awesome. They love the animals. They're doing everything they can possible to keep them alive. It just gets icky. And the reason that happens is because people aren't putting the animals first. There's a huge responsibility that comes with keeping anything. I don't care if you're keeping a dog, a cat, a tarantula, a goldfish, whatever it is, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with it. And you want to always put the animal's welfare first. If you're going out and starting almost a horde by going out and grabbing a bunch of different animals just so you can show them off and then you put them in your cages, you stick them on a shelf and then you move on, you know, it's on to the next one. Not a good recipe for A, not a good recipe for your animals and B, again, it's not a good recipe for your YouTube channel because eventually you're going to get to the point where you can no longer bring in any animals or you start losing animals and that's going to undermine your channel. So that's one of the things I see quite a bit with the YouTube channels that people are trying to grow up. It's all about how many new things you can show and show off and impress people with. And that's that's one of the really, it's a bad way to build your channel. And I'm, I'm thinking of one channel in particular, and I won't say the gender of the person, but this individual came out, they were getting some decent subscribers, and then it took a turn from look at the, you know, my modest tarantula collection to just bringing in all this stuff. Next thing you know, the individual was selling off all their stuff and going, I'm not doing YouTube anymore because things were dying. People were giving them a hard time. Keep it small, build it. And, and I think this is a, a big one. Because if you put the animals first, everything else kind of falls into place. If you sit there and look, if you're looking at your list and you're about to buy something and you find yourself going, wow, this would make for a really good unboxing video, I, I would say you're thinking the wrong way. It should be, wow, I can't wait to get this animal. I love these. I've done the research. I can't wait to add it to my collection and to watch it grow. And I can't wait to share that enthusiasm with other people. That's a little different. I mean, when I pick stuff up, I will say, and if I'm being completely 100% honest, and it's it's not the whole reason I picked this species up, but it was the only time I think YouTube kind of was in the back of my mind, Harpactera pulchropes, Harpactera pulchropes. The first time I picked up uh, Harpactera pulchropes, it was when they were commanding. I think slings were going for around $200 each. I was kind of cheap. I don't spend that much money on tarantulas at all. And it was the end of the summer. I get a, basically, when you teach, you can get a balloon check, which is you get basically your summer pay in one big check. And I get like a chunk of that, and it has to last me all summer. And it was the end of the summer. I didn't have a lot of money left, but I was eyeing these guys. And I will say in that one, I desperately, I had been basically obsessing over this species for well over a year before this. And I had done all the research. I had done the notes. I was ready. The thing that put me over the edge was the fact that I was thinking ahead and was like, there's not a lot on YouTube right now. Not a lot as far as husbandry out there on the internet for my website on these guys. This would be a good opportunity for me to kind of get a jump on actually producing some content out there that really address their husbandry. So in that instance, and I will flat out admit this, that was one of the few times, I think it's the only time I can think of that I picked something up that the deciding factor was it would make for some good material for my website and YouTube. But 
full disclosure, I I just, in my mind, I just kind of used it as justification for spending money. It was like, well, you know what? It'll be a good one to do husbandry stuff on for the website and YouTube. But that's it. I mean, when I pick up spiders now, I don't, after I, I haven't even done unboxing videos, I think for the last probably five or six orders I've picked up. I don't even do them anymore. I will do one going ahead because Billy's picking me up some stuff for my birthday and I, I'm very excited about it and I think it'd be a cool one to kind of do and have her there recording it while I go through it because I don't know what she got in particular. So we might do one for that, but I don't do a lot of them anymore because it's like, all right, been there, done that. So again, number one, rule number one, if, if you turn off the podcast now, I mean, you probably as far as the my advice as far as starting a YouTube channel, you can probably turn it off right now if you don't want to hear anything else because this is the biggest rule, I think, is just make sure you keep the animals first. Number two, I would say be yourself. Don't go out there trying to be some personality. Do If if you act natural and act who you are, you're going to get more people, I think, inevitably than somebody that goes out there and puts on like a, a facade. And I think with most of the popular ones out there, what you see is what you get. Now, I have seen other instances where I've corresponded with people before, and the person behind the scenes is a lot different from the person in front of the camera. And there's, I can think of one instance where the guy was ridiculous, like a really good, intelligent, bright guy, and he started doing a YouTube channel, and, and it was like, wow, this is a totally different person than what I expected online just try to be real and and enjoy i think it's going to make it enjoyable if you don't have to play a character now i've had people argue that as part i think as part of youtube you you do have to kind of have an online persona for many of us and i think it's not so much like i'll say i'll use myself as an example I come across, I get the comments from my kids at school. I get comments, you know, Billy is always giving me a hard time about people that meet me in person. I'm not quite the same as I appear on camera because that's kind of my teaching mode. I'm a lot more laid back and goofy, honestly, in real life and irreverent, honestly. It's not that I'm trying to be somebody different. It's just this is teaching. When I go to, when I'm at home, I can be myself. I can let it out. I can make all my jokes, whatever. When I'm teaching, I have the kids there that I can play off of. And I think that's where my humor comes more into play because we have the banter that goes back and forth, which is difficult when you're talking. A lot of times I'm just talking to a camera or Billy and I are trying to do something educational. So we don't want to cut too loose. But again, I don't see it as trying to be phony or trying to mislead people. It's just that's what the, the, more professional presentation I would like to project on my channel. So I think, obviously, if you're online, if there are those of us out there that use profanity in real life. I mean, it's it's part of real life for a lot of us. It's part of our, you know, when we converse with friends or whatever. But then when we go to do a channel, we got to decide, are we going to carry that over? Are we going to use profanity? Are we going to limit our audience because we're dropping F-bombs or whatever? And I think that's a little different than folks to come out there and act, you know, create a very bombastic persona. So the trick is... Be yourself. It does. I will tell you, I'm still not comfortable talking in front of the camera. I still get nervous because it's just not my thing. I do think I've gotten better over the years and I feel more comfortable. So know that when you start off, be prepared. If you stick with it years later to go watch your older videos and giggle at yourself because you do get nervous. I pulled up my first husbandry video and was just mortified at how inarticulate I sounded overall. It was just full of ums and stutters and everything else. So just go into it, try to relax, have fun, be yourself. And I think that helps people's natural personalities in many cases are going to be better than any fabricated persona they come up with. Now, the next most important thing, and I put this right up there with keeping the animals first. So this probably should have been number two, but I didn't want to make it a list. Do it for fun. Do it regardless if you're going to, if you're going to start a YouTube channel. 
whether you're doing it because you just want to share your your spiders with people and share your love of the hobby or whether you really do sit down you're like you know what I think I could be a really good YouTuber I could I could create a really big audience whatever it has to be fun and I see so many people over the years I've spoken to so many people over the years that start off with a channel they start getting a little so they get some subscribers they're all excited and then the channel becomes a chore and then it's like oh man I feel like I my favorite is when people come out and they realize that you know there's a thing out there a lot of people talk about that if you do a lot of videos it'll get you even more subscribers so a lot of people try to do like a video a day or three or four videos a week and for many of us if you have a a full-time job and a family and work for a living that's impossible if it's at least impossible if you want any sort of quality to your videos so i i encourage people when you do it find a schedule that works for you find whether it's once a week whether it's once a month and again you do want regularity i think if you're trying to build the channel having regular videos you know come out like once a week or so is the best way to go Uh, twice a month can work every other week but you do want some type of schedule but don't kill yourself over it don't go out and go you know what if I put up one video a week and picked up five subscribers if I put up 10 videos a week I'll pick up 50 subscribers you're just going to burn yourself out the trick is to make sure you're doing it for fun you're not stressing and with that the other thing I see people do it's always good to have goals especially if you're trying to I think a lot of people come out right out of the shoot and they're like, this is what I plan to do. But if you have to set goals, set realistic goals. Don't say, I, I, I was speaking to somebody recently who was, this individual wanted to start a YouTube channel. And she's like, I, 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 my goal is to have a thousand subscribers in the first year. And then after that, I'm thinking I go up and, and it was great. But I was like, you know what? If, if you're setting the bar that high right off the bat, and I will tell you, it took, I think I went probably, now granted, I was only throwing videos up here and there, and the videos were pretty terrible, and they were kind of compliment to compliment my website, but I think it took me like a couple years to, to hit 100, honestly, or a year. It was, it was a while. I was just, I was happy when I had a couple subscribers, like, holy crap, I got subscribers. This is cool. And, and again, I, different, I had a different mindset when I started mine, but if you're going to set goals, Make sure they're attainable and don't get hung up on it. If you don't make 500 subscribers in a year, but you're having a lot of fun, that's a win as far as I'm concerned. So this individual, she set it up that she was doing a great channel and then she was she had these projections like I should have this many month one, I should have this many month two. Well, around month six or so, it was obvious she wasn't going to get anywhere near a thousand and next thing you know it, she's like, I'm not doing this anymore and nobody's listening, watching my channel. She had built up a pretty good audience. It takes time. And if you, want, if you talk to people who have built a decent sized audience. It's it's a long road. It's a, it, you're playing the long game. You're not most people don't unless you hit a, have a video that goes immediately viral and brings a bunch of people over. It takes a while to get you know a hundred takes a long time. A thousand takes a long time. Five thousand takes a long time. But you'll see those little between those milestones. The time between those milestones will seem to get shorter and shorter. At least in my opinion. So I think the trick is, and this falls in line with doing it for fun. Don't get hung up on goals. Don't put a bunch of goals out there for yourself. If if you're trying to do it for money, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I want to throw that one out there because a lot of people, 
come out with the idea that I'm going to get a bunch of subscribers. I'm going to monetize. I'm going to have money coming in. I'm going to, you know, get ads. I'll get a Patreon account. Guys, it, it doesn't work like that. It takes a while to get to that point to start making money on it. And I think, honestly, if that's your goal, it's it's like I have kids in high school. We do a lot of talk about transition nowadays with kids. You know, I work with freshmen. We talk about what are you going to do after you graduate out of high school? And a lot of kids nowadays are, it used to be, I'm going to be a famous sports player. I'm going to play football professionally, boxing professionally, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be, professional sports. Uh, rapper was always up there. I'm going to be a rapper. Oh, you, do you rap? Are you on SoundCloud? No, I don't do any rapping. The big one we get nowadays is I'm going to be a YouTuber and I'm going to make a lot of money. And I don't think people realize that A, the chances of making any money on it are slim for the majority of people. The chances of making a decent amount of money are even more slim. And the chances of making the type of money that you're never going to have to work again even more slim. So it's not realistic to go in thinking you're going to make a ton of money. So if you're out there right now going, hey, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, I'm going to make a lot of money, it's probably not the best way to go about it. Now, again, this is from Tom from Tom's Big Spiders who didn't go about it this way. Maybe there are people out there right now that could come on and go, hey, you know what? This is exactly what I plan to do and here I am. I'm rolling it. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be realistic, especially with a smaller niche market like tarantulas or exotics. And I will say that for, again, I, not a lot of people make it to that point. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for a situation where you put a lot of time and effort in and you're not going to see those goals achieved. You're not going to see the money start rolling in. And that's just going to create disappointment. Now, another tip I can give people or another pitfall I see people fall into is they immediately come out, they see a channel they like, and somebody that's obviously had years to build up their channel, they've pulled in some money, they're buying good equipment, and they come out and go, you know what, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to spend you know $5,000. And this literally, I had a guy sending me photo or Amazon links to these cameras. I'm going to buy this top-of-the-line camera lighting system. That's all great as long as you're treating this as a hobby and something that, all right, I'm going to spend this money anyway because it's my hobby. I don't mind throwing some money into hobby. But just keep in mind... A lot of people will spend the money. They'll buy the editing. I This individual asked me what I was using, and he's like, oh, I found out it was my phone. He's like, oh, I'm kind of surprised you use your phone. I'm looking at this camera, and he asked which editing software I was using. He went out and bought all this stuff. I think the channel lasted three videos. Because keep in mind, find out if it's something you enjoy doing first before you start dropping a lot of money into it. If you find that putting a video out a week is kind of a pain in the butt, and you're not doing all the setups and everything, then you probably don't want to go out and spend a bunch of money on all the, you know, an expensive setup up with the camera and the lights and everything else. And again, it, it I think for a, a lot of people, when they start off, the, the easiest thing to do is I have a spider in front of me. It's beautiful. I want to talk about it, show people whip out your camera and do it that way. That's a good way to just kind of get the feel of it. I think for me, I, I don't know if I could have started right off the bat using nice cameras and, and I don't have a particularly great camera right now. And I do have lights, but Billy and I do have lights. We've upgraded our setup as we've gone on over the course of the last couple of years, but we're still not like anywhere near what some people out there use. My goal is to get a nicer camera coming up, but I've been doing this for a while and it's something I want to do. I just want nicer pictures of them. I don't feel that I obligated to do it. So let me make that very clear. But I think I if I had started off that way, I don't think I would have made it this far because for me off the bat, it was just enough of, it was time consuming enough to get out my camera 
take pictures of it, do a little editing on my phone and upload it. That was good enough. And I knew that once I started getting more into it with like lights and stuff like that, now suddenly what was just a very simple, hey, I'm in the middle of doing a rehouse and we're going to get some footage of this becomes a, all right, let's set up. Billy and I take a lot of time to set up now beforehand. We have like a divider we put on the table that kind of keeps the mess of the table being shown on videos. I have to run the microphone. We get the lights set up. We get the, sometimes we do two cameras. We get the camera set up. Now there's a lot more setup time involved. We have to get everything set up ahead of time, which makes it kind of a little more of a panda butt. So things to think about as far as if, if you're going to start doing a YouTube channel, don't go spending a bunch of money right off the bat. Don't go investing right off the bat. Do a couple videos, start seeing, you know, get your, per, your personality down, see how it goes on camera. See how you, do you want to be on camera when you do it? Do you not want to be on camera? Get the hang of it, get the swing of it, do some, you know, minor editing and then learn the ropes of it before you go out and spend a lot of money. Because I think a lot of people that do go the YouTube route start off, you know, with a bang and then end with a whimper when they realize, you know what, this is a lot more effort than I thought it was going to be. I like the idea that some of the channels out there that have done really well started off producing some of the just kind of the out-of-pocket videos, for lack of a better term. I whip my cell phone out, take some, you know, video of it. And then as they grew, they started spending more money. So I think that's a big one, too. Going into it, not dropping a bunch of money right off the bat. Start off with something simple. Simple camera, your cell phone. Get the hang of it. See if it's something you like to do. Then if you're having fun with it, building your audience, and you find that you want to grow it more, then go start investing more money in it. Because if you see it as something, and that's the other thing, if you see it as a business, then you have to, with a business, you have to grow it. You have to show some improvements. You have to show that you are getting a bigger audience, where if you do it for fun, it's just, hey, oh, look, I picked up some new people, but I'm still enjoying it, so who cares? I'm just going to keep putting videos out, and hopefully people will come. So something to think about there. Now, as far as promotion, I can't even talk about promotion because I don't do a lot of it, but there are ways to promote. You hook it up to your, you know, obviously social media being the way that it is nowadays, you can have everything hooked to everything else. I can go, like for the podcast, for example, I can post these on Twitter. I can post them on I think Instagram, there's a bunch of places, uh, Facebook, there's a bunch of places that I can have these immediately go out to. So if you do want to promote it right off the bat, and it's probably easier to start your little promotional system ahead of time, then get going with your Twitter, your Instagram is a good place to promote, Facebook for people that are on Facebook, some people go on and start their own Reddit, but there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different social media outlets out there that you could use to promote to get different people that might be interested in your channel. And the trick is to kind of just have them connected and make it as effortless as possible. That's where I kind of stumble because I just don't feel like I have the time sometimes to maintain and monitor them all. I'm having a hard enough time keeping track of Facebook. You know, it's my busy time of year. So trying to get on Facebook and answer questions and do all this stuff can be very difficult. But when you're starting out, if you if you get these things going, you start putting videos up and you can start like teasing them on Instagram, teasing them on, I've even used, I used to use Tumblr in the back, in the back in the day. I don't even know if anybody uses that anymore. But obviously, get on social media, start promoting, put up some pictures. Instagram is a fun one too because you just put pictures up and I know a lot of folks out there when they have a video coming up will put a picture or a still from the video beforehand going, hey, coming out later today or coming out later this week to kind of promote it. If you do want to do some promotion, there is a lot you can do that way. And obviously doing collaborations with other YouTubers is a fun way to promote. You get somebody else that might have more viewers than you or more subscribers than you and you do something so that maybe their folks, if it's good enough, they come over, they watch your video and go, hey, this guy or gal is pretty good too. I'll subscribe to them. So and I think those can be very rewarding, a lot of fun. I don't do as many as I'd like to do because quite frankly, I have a hard enough time getting my regular videos out. But every once in a while, I'll see a YouTuber or somebody and I usually approach them. I don't usually have many people approach me, which is nice because it doesn't put you in an awkward spot if you don't want to do one or don't have the time. But I might approach somebody and go, 
hey, you know what? I love your channel. You want to do something. So for example, uh, California's Critters was somebody I liked her channel. I, I happened to stumble on something and she did a husbandry guide for Afana Palma Samani. And as I was watching the video, I realized she actually shouted me out in the middle of it. So anyway, I kind of, I thanked her for it. I commented, we went back and forth. I really liked what she was doing. So I invited her to do a collaboration with me, which I'm looking forward to putting up eventually. So anyway, collaborations are a fun way to do it. Even if it's with somebody your own level, it's, they're fun to do and they get to sometimes show a different side of your personality. Like the off the tongs challenge I did with Mark, it allowed me to kind of cut loose a little bit and be a little less stiff as far as the videos were concerned. That was a fun one to do. So another way to kind of build an audience and build friendships in the hobby. Because another thing that'll keep you going is the people that come to your videos and comment or some of the folks that you watch that you go back and forth with. It kind of becomes its own little social group into itself, which I think can be one of the most rewarding parts of it. So that's probably, that's the advice in a nutshell. And I've given this to a couple people already. And it was obviously in a more abbreviated format because I was typing it out in an email. But the most important points I can make is, again, keep the animals the, the the safety and the care of the animals should be first and foremost the most important thing. If you find yourself doing things not for the animals but because you want to get more views because it becomes a popularity contest, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm sorry. It should always be animals first. If you pick up animals, it should be because you've researched them and you're dying to pick up this animal and you want to keep it, not because you think a lot of people will want to see it on your channel. So always put the animals first and I think a lot of this will fall into place. And then the second most important thing is obviously do it for fun. Keep it fun. Keep it so it's something you enjoy doing because I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you went and polled all the most popular YouTubers out there and asked them how they got started, they're not going to say, well, it was like a job to me. I come home, I'd force myself to do some videos, I'd force myself to smile on the camera. No, they're doing it because they actually really enjoyed doing it. It was something fun. It was a hobby. And I think that's probably, you know, again, animals first and then second most important thing. Make sure it's fun. Make sure you're enjoying it. Don't set a bunch of goals for yourself. Just do it. Put it out there. If you're if you're enjoying yourself, who cares how many people watch it? That's my theory on it. But again, I'm a little different in those respect in that respect. So take it with a grain of salt. And again, I encourage you that if you're one of the ones that wanted to start one, and you're hearing me talk right now, and you're like, "Wow, that really wasn't what I was expecting." Then find one of those other YouTubers out there that you enjoy, one of the bigger you know the big ones, and ask them what they would what advice they would give, and hopefully they'll answer and, and give you some tips there. So that'll hopefully from now on when people ask me about how to get into YouTube or what they should do, this will be what I point them towards so I don't have to answer these emails anymore because I feel foolish doing them because I know that I'm a little different in my way of thinking and I feel like I'm not qualified to give those type of answers. This is just kind of what I did. So moving on, moving large tarantula collections. I have no idea. No, just, I really, I've given this one a lot of thought and I was going to do it last week and I kind of balked last minute because after thinking about it, I'm not really sure there's a great answer. And I've spoken to some people that have told me I've had to move and I had to sell a lot of my collection because I either couldn't afford to ship it or I couldn't figure out how to move them over. So I think the first thing we need to consider is how far are you moving? If it's driving distance, then what I would do, and this isn't going to be a particularly long one, but I am hoping what will come out of this is maybe folks that have actually done this before will chime in and then we can revisit and I can credit you guys for your tips. But if you're not moving a long distance, so Billy and I are not planning on moving out of the state of Connecticut. State of Connecticut is not a particularly large state, so everything's within driving distance. The thought process is the majority of them, I would, my fossorial species, I would likely leave in their ca their cages. They're underground. They should be safe as long as it doesn't get jounced around too much. And I do hear people, I, I've heard people argue that, well, you need to dig them out in case that whole thing collapses or you get in an accident. 
I, I, you know, I just kind of think in terms of, well, hopefully I don't get in an accident. Like if I get in an accident, I'm also going to be worried about myself and my family. So let's just pretend like we're not going to get in an accident while we're moving. I would suspect that a moderately sized collection, 25 to 50 tarantulas or so, I would probably take the slings and pack them up. I can tell you a little trick that if you have slings and they're in those dram bottles, you can take some sphagnum moss, moisten it up, and kind of stick it in the top, which gives a little buffer. So, for example, if I have a fossorial species that's kind of digging, I can put some of that stuff up top, which will keep it from you know bouncing around if it should happen to shift while in transit. You can actually ship them like that. I just shipped some spiders like that not that long ago where we put in a bunch of sphagnum moss so the spider could kind of web itself into the sphagnum moss, and it was like perfect as far as protecting the spider in shipping. The same thing could be done with smaller and I mean, if you got a lot of sphagnum moss, you could easily stuff some sphagnum moss in the, the deli cups to make sure that if the spider does come out of its den, that it's safe. And then I would pack those up carefully, make sure I pat them a little bit, probably in a larger box. And you can bring those right along in your car with you. As far as larger specimens, again, those are the ones I would probably take out and put in smaller houses or smaller enclosures. So for example, I wouldn't, I don't think I would bring a tarantula in a four to five gallon aquarium or 10 gallon aquarium just as is because if you put it in your car it comes out starts climbing and falls that could cause damage could injure it there's just too much at play there so for the larger species i think i would probably it's a tough one i'm thinking of it now because i use the sterilite containers the they're like the shoe boxes larger shoe boxes and there's not a lot of room for them to climb most of them have hides in there that they can hide in and usually if things get jounced around they kind of hunker down in those hides so if i grabbed a couple of those if i could secure them in the back seat of a car as long as again if you stop short that's something that could throw the spider toward the front of the enclosure so uh, you may want to take the big ones out. I'm thinking about it now. I would probably take the big ones out and put them in deli cups, you know, padded deli cups, almost like I was going to ship them. At least the ones that weren't fossorial species, the terrestrial ones, I would take out. Arboreal species, you would probably want to take out of their enclosures. I don't think I'd want to. I'm, I'm literally, as I'm talking about this, and I've given it a lot of thought, but I'm like still wishy-washy because I'm not 100% sure how I'd go about it. The bigger ones, like... The arboreals and stuff, definitely I would pull those out and put them into deli cups and then bring the deli cups in a box. Cages, I would leave the cages as is and probably, you know, if I was doing, if we're going across state or we're going driving distance and using a U-Haul, those you could pack up and leave all the stuff inside of them so you don't have to redo the whole enclosure once you get it to your new house. So that's how I would do a shorter move. If I had to move mine, that's how I would do it. Bigger ones, terrestrials and arboreals would likely go out into separate containers like the, the typical 16 or 32 ounce deli cups so they'd be safely packed away. I would tape them all up, you know, put some moisture in there for them in case it got hot in the car, put them in a box, put them in something that they're not going to jounce around a lot and bring them over that way. Smaller slings, I would take some of that sphagnum moss, put it in the top there to make sure that they couldn't bounce around in those dram containers or those 16 ounce deli cup containers, whatever it may be. And those I would pack in a box that was padded and then I would bring those along. As far as fossorial species, my larger fossorial species, I think you could probably block off the top of the enclosure with cardboard or with sphagnum moss or with something. So I'm thinking like, for example, my H gigas are both in enclosures that have a lot of substrate in them. They've burrowed down to the bottom. They don't have particularly heavy substrate. It's like a cocoa fiber peat mix. So 
would if if one of the boroughs were to somewhat collapse during you know that's one of the things I hear obviously is that what if you're bringing it along and just the vibrations from the car cause the boroughs to collapse they'd still be safe it's not going to crush them they're going to be able to dig right out of it so something like that where there's only a few inches above the substrate I would probably take the chance of putting some sphagnum again in the top for cushioning or maybe even a piece of cardboard to cover up the tops like fit a piece of cardboard over the top so they can't get out of the burrows and put something over top of it so now they basically just have the burrow or the little tunnel leading up to the surface that they can get in which would keep them pretty contained and safe and i'd probably bring them along that way because it would be really if somebody has a huge collection of fossorial species that's going to be a tough one trying to dig them all out. However, if you want to go the extra cautious route, then digging them out might be the way to go. I don't think I'd do it. I think for them, I'm thinking of the ones I have right now that would be fossorial species. The gigas would definitely be two that I don't think I would dig out. My Kilobrachis species, I don't think I would dig out. They have enclosures that I could probably bring along as is and just pad the top or do, again, do the cardboard to cover them to make sure they can't get out on the surface. Although I will tell you the chances of them coming out onto the surface when there's the cars vibrating I find to be very there's a slim and none chance because when things get when they get disturbed they retreat to the burrows I honestly can't see them coming out but just in case you know shove some sphagnum in there some cardboard to block them from coming out to the surface but if there's not a huge gap between the top of the substrate and the top of the enclosure you might be okay make sure they're strapped in so that god forbid you do have to stop quickly they don't fly all around that's a big one and they're pretty sturdy you know spiders can grip on this up pretty well so I don't see unless you really get in a, again we don't want to get in an accident we want to pretend like we're not going to get in an accident i see if you drive carefully try not to stop too quickly you should be completely fine so that's how i would do it for a shorter if i was just moving across state or within driving distance now if i'm moving to a place where i have to fly or we're flying i honestly this is a tough one and i've, I've spoken to several people that have had this severely downsized their collections because they couldn't bring them all with them i think the best bet in that instance would be to probably i'm assuming if you're moving you're going to hire a mover so what you're going to have to do probably and this would be a nightmare is i'm assuming set up some temporary cages at the new place so that you can put these guys into it and then you would probably want to mail them to yourself i i I can't think of really any other way to do it it's going to be expensive it would be something you would probably want to price in with the cost of moving so obviously i have never moved across country i've never moved to a place where i couldn't just drive we pretty much stayed in the same state my entire life so i can't comment on this from my own personal experiences but i would assume say we were going to move to north dakota and i bought a new house there what i would probably do is i'm going to have to set a budget for moving i'm going to have to have moving vans come and take my stuff across country over there i'm guessing that's how it would work family would probably either drive up there if if you're driving to the place then i guess a Again, you could probably bring the tarantulas with you and pack them up the same way you would for a FedEx situation. So if I'm driving across the state, then I can grab some cages with some tarantulas in them, make sure they're secure and bring them along with me. If I'm driving all the way across the country or a place where it's going to take maybe, you know, a couple days to get to, in that instance, I'm going to want to pack them up more like I was shipping them. So maybe you could get away without shipping them. Maybe you could do something where you pack them all up much like you would, you know, into the deli cups and containers, pack them all up into boxes. Obviously, if you're going to be driving in a car, the car is going to be temperature controlled, so it won't be too hot in the summer, won't be too cold in the winter, so they should be safe there. 
And then if you're staying in a hotel room in between, you're going to want to bring those boxes into the hotel to make sure they're okay. In which case, you may want to make sure that you don't tape the boxes completely shut so that when you get in the hotel room, you can open up the boxes a little bit, let some air get in there and percolate and kind of, you know, get rid of some of the stuffiness. But it's important to note that tarantulas can stay packed up like that for a few days. And I've heard situations with them being in the mail for a week and being perfectly fine. And it's not even like a situation where they're going to be in, like if I'm dragging, and this is important to note, if you're going across country and you're driving there and you have a trailer behind you, I would not put them in the trailer. They should be in the temperature controlled car, but they could stay like that for a few days. And even, you know, up to a week or so, honestly, as long as you moisten that in the, the packing materials inside, so whether it be paper towel or toilet paper, whatever you're using, or if you're using sphagnum, make sure it's nice and moist, but they could stay in there for quite some time. So you could conceivably pack up all your tarantulas exactly the way you would for shipping, which is going to take some time. It's going to add to your the amount of time it takes you to get ready to move, pack them up in boxes, bring those with you in the car as you drive across country. If it's a spot where you're not able to drive to it, or you're going to be flying, granted, this would have to be within the country. If you're flying to another country, it's a totally different ball game. You're probably going to have to get rid of your collections because your collection because it's illegal to bring them across state lines. So for example, somebody that contacted me was moving from the United States into Canada and it was a tricky situation because if they tried to bring them over the border, technically they are smuggling tarantulas in because they don't have the papers for it. Or at least I think they, they're, you're not able to bring them into Canada. That was one thing they were looking into was the fact that crossing state line or country lines is a lot different than crossing state lines. Although some states you're not allowed to have them, so you need to check on that as well. So if you're flying in which case you wouldn't be able to bring them with you, obviously all of them with you on the plane, nor would you want them in the cold cargo hold or whatever. So I'm the way to do it there would probably be to either use FedEx or there's a reptile shipping company that again is very expensive, but people will use it to ship large quantities. So that might be the way to go, but it's going to cost a lot of money. I mean, if I ship, so for example, the last time I shipped to California, I think for two day, it was around $95 for a small little box. Now, if you're wrapping up a, a large collection, that's going to be a couple big boxes. Be prepared to leave some money in your budget to ship the tarantulas. That's going to be a huge expense on top of what you're probably already paying to have the moving van come in, pick up your stuff, and ship it across the country, whichever way they work. I don't know if the moving vans, I believe they just go right across country with it. I Again, I don't know. So people, again, this is not me talking from experience. This is stuff that I've given thought to because I've been asked this question quite a few times over the course of the last several years and haven't really had a good response. So this is my thought process on it, but I'm hoping that others that have had to do this will chime in. So that would be my take on it. Again, I don't have a lot of information. I will tell you our plan if we move across the state lines is the majority of them, I will bring over in their regular enclosures, make sure they're secure, smaller ones, shove some sphagnum moss in there, pack them up, put them in my car, run them across. I don't plan on moving too far more than probably a half hour than where I am now, at least as far as where we're looking for a house or property or whatever. If you're going a, a longer distance, as long as you're driving, Again, you're going to want to take them out much like the way you'd probably ship them in from FedEx, wrap them all up, stick them in your car, put them in a couple of big boxes, make sure you bring the big boxes in if you're stopping at a hotel or whatever, make sure they're not left in a car where it's super hot. If you stop somewhere to get something neat, it's going to be kind of a pain in the butt, but you're going to want to make sure the temperatures stay at a decent level so you don't have to use heat packs or cold packs or whatever. And then if you're going someplace where you have to fly, that's going to be the most expensive one as far as packing them up. I would not put them on a moving van. I had somebody ask me that before if, you know, do you think it would be okay to wrap them up really well and just stick them in a moving van? I would not do that personally. I would not trust my animals in a moving van. And plus, 
I'm assuming that's probably illegal or against policy for a lot of these moving companies. So again, I think it all the there's a lot of different variables as far as it's concerned. How far you're going, how you're traveling, how much money you have in your budget, how many tarantulas you have. Again, trying to move right now. If I had you know 200 and something animals, I had to move across the country, and I wasn't driving. That would be a huge undertaking, and I'm not sure if there is an easy or inexpensive way to do it besides packing them up and shipping them. I, I do think looking into some of those companies that do ship reptiles and they're specifically made for shipping animals that might be the way to go because again it's going to be a huge expense but i think it would be cheaper than shipping a bunch of boxes overnight fedex so anyway that's i wish i could do a better guide on that and i i do want to address it because i've had two people asking the last two weeks about doing this topic at least i think it might have been the same person if you're the one that did please chime in on the facebook page and let me know I, I thank you for the topic idea i know this isn't the most complete one but that's what i'm looking at now, I will probably sign off of this podcast and think of other things afterwards. But it's a tricky one because normally when I do these things, I'm speaking from a place of experience, and this is something I haven't experienced yet, although it is something I've given thought to. But again, my move will not be nearly as long as some of the other people that are out there that are asking the questions might be doing much longer moves. So not sure. So please feel free to chime in on Facebook. Let me know if you've done this before and what you did. I would love to hear it and we will definitely revisit. I have a couple topics I have to revisit because people have chimed in with some of their experiences. And I think these things are much more powerful if it's not just me talking about it, if it's other people, especially in a situation like this where I don't have the experience to back it up. So anyway, that will do it for this one. Uh, again, thanks so much for listening. Next time, I would like to do a question and answer one. So if people have topics, ideas that they would like to do. I love doing these every once in a while and we haven't done one for the, you know, season three yet. So if you have some topic ideas or some questions you'd like me to cover, just put them on the Facebook page. I've been monitoring it just to give people a heads up. Billy is actually on Facebook all the time. So she's been helping me monitor some of the questions and stuff on there as well. So she sees it. So feel free to say hi to her if you post something on the page because she's watching at the same time. She's really been invaluable, like amazing as far as supporting me with this Tom's Big Spider stuff. Not just supporting me and being like, hey, I'm going to support you while you do this she helps out immensely so feel free to chime in if you have some ideas for a Q&A for the next one I'd love to do a couple Q&A episodes I haven't done one in a while and I enjoy doing them as always you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com or on YouTube putting up my videos that'll do it for this one I hope to catch you guys all next time